Welcome to Movies Charles and Scene, episode 62. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And this week we watched the 1974 movie The Godfather Part 2. So Charles, tell us about it. This movie follows the path of Vito Corleone, who is the godfather in the first part, as he's exiled from Sicily and grows up in New York uh, and makes a name for himself and eventually gets revenge on the mob boss who killed his father and his mom and his brothers. And it also attracts Michael's son, or Vito's, Vito's son, Michael, as he has taken over the Corleone family and their organized crime. And he tries to like make deals and gets betrayed by his associates and by his brother and how he deals with that. He ends up basically killing all of them to, to get revenge and consolidate power. And he alienates the rest of his family. Yeah, so he wins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. He's the winner. Crossman, this, this was your pick, and you went with a big one here. What made you land on uh, Godfather 2? I mean, it's a lot of... I mean, for a while, people thought it was, like, the best movie ever made. There's uh, a reasonable argument for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of the best American films ever made, for sure. Yes. I think it's the pinnacle of the sort of the, of the gangster genre, which we've seen a few examples of, a lot of examples ape this movie pretty well i think what's different about this movie is the the generational aspect that even goodfellas doesn't really get to as well as this movie does because it keeps it within the family and i think uh, being a fictional film actually allows it to like do more things that some of the uh historical fiction gangster movies don't do I mean, you have De Niro, a very young De Niro in this yes, movie. Yes, this was a breakup role. This was what made him big. And for good reason. He's this incredible this, this in the film. Taxi Driver. This was before Taxi Driver. Yes, this was before Taxi Driver. Um, this was before Raging Bull. This, yeah. this was his big role. He, he had ori- originally tried out for Michael Corleone for the first Godfather, and it went to the kino. Um, but he, he won an Oscar for this one. Okay. Yeah, yeah well-deserved, and a surprisingly reserved Pacino in this film. I think it's his most reserved role. Yeah. And except that one part. Right, and that's that's why it works so well. So when yeah. he does blow up, like there's two or three times when he like really loses it. Yeah. And it, it makes those stand up some more. And it's unfortunate that later in his career, like mm-hmm. it was all that. Yeah. <laughs> but the contrast is so important to this character. Yeah. Um, I like I like that it's kind of a revenge movie. I like that they interweave interesting historical moments. Like the Cuban Revolution, I think, is actually like one of the best parts of the movie yeah. is when they're in Cuba. I yeah. really like that portion of the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I think the movie still has flaws. It's <laughs> it's way too long and it's quite Yeah, fun. it doesn't have the like I really like the music from the first movie and they kinda did away with that. It's still like kinda had that mopey, like almost <laughs> jazz in this movie. <laughs> But I think the first movie, they couldn't do the same thing again because... They already did it. They already did it. Yeah. But the music in the first movie is way better. And I also think that it, it ends in, in kind of a strange spot. It feels like it's setting up for another sequel, which they, they did do. I've actually never seen The Godfather Part 3 because I heard it's terrible. Um, it's not. It's not okay, as good yeah. as these two. But It, it like, just has too much yeah. of a reputation it's to live up to. Compared to two yeah. of the greatest films ever made, of course, it's going to look worse. And I think... Um, Fredo's actually secretly like one of the best gangster characters. Yes. Uh, like on film. Uh, I love the arc of Fredo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to chew on for this film. There's so much content to it. Um, the, the Italian sections are great too. 
Yes. They they incorporate the the immigrant story really well in this movie. Whereas that's like assumed in a lot of like other gangster films that we see. Yeah, it's depicted here. Yeah. Yeah. We actually see it. And we see it in yeah. detail. Right? Yeah. Like it's we see beat by beat, step by step, like how they get from where they are. Yeah. You can where see they where they are. like Scorsese calling on this for for gangs. <laughs> Uh, Definitely. Like, there's a lot of like overlap between like the themes that Scorsese is trying to pull in Gangs of New York and, and this movie. Yeah, but um, the couple goes bigger and deeper with it. Yeah, right. Like it, this is a I think a more thoughtful movie than Gangs of New York, a more personal movie than Gangs of New York, um, yeah. and it it shows on screen. Yeah, I think Gangs also has that like gladiator influence where they're mm-hmm. like, oh, let's have this cool like street battle too. Yeah, and yeah, and this was <laughs> this, less, less interested in that. Yeah, hardly at all. Um, even though there are like some pretty horrific, violent moments in this film, but but it's it's assassination more than it is uh, big fight. Yeah, yeah, they and look more gross than cool. Exactly. Yeah, they're yeah. they're not depicted to look awesome. Yeah, right. They're depicted to look. They're, they're, it's supposed to be troubling, right? It's supposed to be kind of disturbing, and and a more visceral in that way. Um, and it's a good choice. Uh, what what do you think of the movie, Charles? I feel like it has a hell of a reputation to live up to, and I don't know <laughs> it if it could yeah. ever live up to the reputation of like best movie ever made or anything like that. So it's hard to go in and not feel a little disappointed when I watch it. So I do feel a bit that way. It was still like I still recognize that it was great, um, but I, I guess I'm not the biggest fan of like the organized crime mob sort of movie. We've had you on several. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy them enough. Like, I, I remember enjoying The Departed quite a bit when I saw that. Yeah, that movie's great. Um, but it does feel like they tap onto the same tropes and story points and, like, themes over and over. And I feel like this one, I mean, like, it's probably one of the progenitors of that kind of story. Um, so it's kind of like the Seinfeld's not funny trope. Seinfeld's um, very funny. Right, but you, you know <laughs> yeah, what? I do know right? what you mean. Yes. So for the yeah. audience, the trope is that like Seinfeld has introduced a lot of sitcom style mm-hmm. jokes, um, so many people will go back and watch Seinfeld and like hear the jokes that they've heard in other shows that right. came out after it, but they find it not funny because the jokes have been done elsewhere. Um, so maybe it's the same thing with Godfather Part Two, where I feel like I've already seen this story told so many times elsewhere. Um, but that's sort of a fault of the movie doing it so well that other movies have copied it, and so I've seen it in other movies. Um, it did feel maybe a little long, um, and there were, there were lots of scenes where it was just very atmospheric and that can really contribute to the quality of a movie. But when it's three and a half hours long, it starts to feel like it's a bit too much, um, too many scenes of, you know, a guy walking down the street, things like that. Um, (laughs) and I do feel like there was a lot going on in this movie to the point where I feel like my first viewing is just that level zero viewing of just trying to cobble together what's happening and who's actually betraying who. Um, Because like there were parts where Michael is saying like, oh, you know, this guy plotted to kill me, um, but I know that you're loyal and I need you to go do this thing for me or whatever, right? Yeah. And I wasn't 100% sure if he was saying that honestly or if he was saying that to try to trick the guy he's talking to. Uh, And you kind of figure out what happened afterward, right? But I didn't necessarily know at the time. And so I just had to try to keep everything together um, and, you know, being three and a half hours long, there's a lot of story to put together, right? So I feel like I need to watch this multiple times to really absorb anything beyond just the basic level of understanding what's going on in the story. Yeah, this is a densely plotted movie. 
I mean, it, it really fills up that three and a half hours with a lot of events. Yeah, it doesn't give the viewers a lot of break to like process no. what happened. No, well, like, I mean, the break you get is in the Vito stories, right? Because what's, what's going on with Vito is relatively straightforward, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He's he is gradually working his way up to being a respected figure. He's a counterpoint to the to Michael's story, like, and in that sense, you get a little bit of a breather. Um, but M Michael's machinations are complicated. And they are communicated to us in like a line. And if you miss that line, you kind yeah. of lose track of the thread. Um, and I, I don't know if that's a fault of the movie. I think that is Coppola putting some faith in us and relying on us to to, to piece it together. Yeah, that's and the problem, right? Like I, I when I see movies, I, you get annoyed when they overexplain things. But then the movies that don't overexplain things, I find myself missing one line and then losing the thread, like you said. So yeah, it's kind of a balance, right? I think. Like I, I'll, I'll defend this movie to the death. Yeah. Like this, like, <laughs> this movie is very important to me personally. It's it's very near and dear to my heart. I watched this for the first time when I was fourteen, I think thirteen or fourteen, <laughs> and like this, this movie, Godfather one and two, are really when I first consciously understood what cinema can do and like what what a movie can be and how big and complex and you know grand film is. So these movies are always going to be uh, uh, very close to me. Um, but so to your point about the complexity of Michael's scheming, I think a he doesn't know who did it, right? So when he is going to Hyman Roth and he's going to Frank and he's going to all these guys and saying, I know you're, you're loyal and I know that he isn't, he's telling all of them these things because he's not sure himself. But part of the point is that it doesn't, like putting all that stuff together isn't that important. Right. What what I think you're supposed to get, especially out of a first viewing, is the the larger themes about power and family and greed and capital and all of that. And you can piece together like why he said this at this time and why this guy did this thing in response and all that. Like you can put it together and make something coherent out of it, but you don't need to on a first viewing to grasp what the film is doing. I think. Mm -hmm. um, and in that sense, I think it. it it functions on and on a, a few different levels and for different people in different ways, and it's successful in that respect. Uh, but I, I love this movie. Is it possible to summarize the arc of Michael's story? I think my my understanding, and this is my second time watching the film ever. Yeah, no, I mean it's too it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> So I've seen this several times. First time I saw the, the Godfather part one was on TV. It was five Oof. hours. No, oh, that's shit. the wrong way to watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was brutal. Yeah. Um, so Michael, at the beginning of the film, he's trying to cut this deal on casinos mm -hmm. in Vegas with uh, Hyman Roth. Correct. Who we meet later. Um, he. They also introduce this character of uh, Frank. Yes. Who slights or betrays Michael in some way, kind of like at the beginning of the film. So right? what he... Frank is operating back in New York, right? And he yes. is part of the Corleone family. Yes. There is another pair of gangsters that are horning in on his territory and doing stuff near him that he doesn't like. Yes. Those two are backed by Hyman Roth. Yeah. So if Frank is coming to Mike asking for permission to retaliate against these guys for for attacking or for encroaching on his business, Frank this, tells him to not retaliate because it will mess up his deal with Hyman Roth and that that's more important than whatever 
drug deals are going on right. in the Bronx. So then, then there's a shooting that happens in New York of these two guys. This imperils the relationship between Michael and Hyman Roth. Yes. Uh, so Michael personally goes to Hy- Hyman Roth and says, sorry, we still want the casino deal to go forward. Then he goes and kind of like threatens Frank, essentially, to see if like Frank was the person that actually did it. He doesn't get a clear mm-hmm. answer, but it seems like the implication is he thinks Frank is the one that it, did it. It could be, yep. yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the next scene, there's an attempted kill on assassination of Frank, yep. which seems to be coordinated by Fredo. Maybe. Maybe. But we yep. don't know that either. Yeah. Then, Wait, doesn't the assassin say Michael sends his regards? The assassins are lying. Yeah. 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 Frank ends up surviving that, but we don't know that for a while. Yeah. Uh, then Michael <laughs> tries to go to Cuba to make peace um, through a series of complicated events. And it happens to be the night of the Cuban Revolution, mm-hmm. 1959, New Year's. Uh, there's an attempt on Hyman Roth's life, who's very ill, and he's spending time in Cuba to, yep. to, to try and get better. Um, they're, they're also trying to build casinos in Cuba because it's on the capital like a lot of the in in reality there's a lot of cuba like uh, casinos that were active in cuba at the time um (laughs) then there's a lot yeah (laughs) then what happens is michael is being prosecuted by the u.s you're skipping an important step yeah okay yeah yeah in cuba he tells fredo I think you did it. And I think the implication there is he's telling Fredo, I think you tried to ass- assassinate Frank. Or he says, No. You, oh. No. Roth? Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. So what happens is he, Mike asks Fredo earlier in the evening if he's ever met Hyman Roth or Johnny Ola, who works, okay. with, who works with Roth. Fredo lies and says no. The audience knows he's lying. Okay. All right. Because they heard him on, we got that scene on the phone where he's woken up by a phone call. While they're at some sort of donkey show or something, they uh, Mike overhears Fredo say that, oh, Johnny Ola told me about this place a few months ago when I was in Cuba. So Mike knows that Fredo was lying. So Mike knows that Fredo was the one that ordered the hit on, My- on Michael at his home at the beginning of the movie. That's what, when he, what, in that famous scene when he says, when he kisses Fredo and he says, I know it was you, Fredo, you broke my heart. That's what he's talking about. He knows it was Fredo that tried to kill him. Gotcha. See, I totally missed that. Yeah, that's not clear. Where they're in the stripper show or whatever, I missed that part. Oh, that's like critical to the movie. Yeah, so <laughs> okay. that didn't help. <laughs> okay, that, the movie yeah. stopped making sense if you missed that, I think. Well, I mean, like, when he's when he says to Fredo that you broke my heart, I figured he figured something out somehow. Yeah, right. What he figured out is that Fredo participated in the hit on him he knows he worked with johnny ola and hyman roth so roth was the one that ordered it fredo facilitated it by telling by telling them where frank was going or where mike was going to be and how they could they could get at him yeah. and that that was that that was the betrayal that that's why he ostracized fredo after that fredo argues and he's probably telling the truth that he didn't realize it was going to go this far that he thought they wanted to talk to him that he thought xyz that it wasn't going to be an assassination attempt, um, and Michael doesn't care, and because Fredo's too dumb. So then, so then Frank was probably innocent, but he thought that they had tried to kill him off, and so he, right? Well, they knew 
because the the second half of the that arc, the present day arc, is that Frank almost gives testimony implicating the Corleone family to Congress. He gets scared off, but that loose thread is too much for Mike, and he has to essentially talk him into killing himself. Yeah, or he'll he'll kill Frank's family, or he'll kill his family. Yeah, and then he ends up killing so that Fredo. In that scene, they brought his brother over, and the implications that they they're threatening to kill his brother if he if he continues his testimony. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, and that works because he sees his brother there, and and that's it. It's like we can we have access to him. He's sitting next to me. If we want to chuck him in the lake, we can, mm-hmm. and it would be that easy. Yep. So. Yeah, that, that's what's going on there. So then Frank kills himself. Uh, Fredo ends up getting assassinated. And yep. Michael has sort of I'm, killed everybody around Yeah, him. Hymenroth is shot. Like, also like assassinated. Jack Ruby, essentially. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's uh, everybody is killed off. His marriage is over. And the only people around him are, you know... His children and his sister. His, yeah, his children and his sister and the his various mafia. Tom. Muscle. And yeah, and, and Tom. Uh, Robert Duvall. So yes, that is the setting aside the veto arc. That is the basic event of the basic events of this movie. So it's complicated, right? There's a lot going on, um, and I think that you can really dig into any singular part of this film and find a lot of fertile ground uh, to discuss the movie itself, film at large, wherever you want. Um, but I think we can, what I notice especially on, on this viewing is how well, especially early in the movie, Coppola fills up his scenes. Like the, these frames are so active and so full of people and, yep. and so full of movement over and over again, especially like that, the Ellis Island shot, like as it's panning sideways across all these people getting onto Ellis Island. Multicultural group of people. Right, like it looks, it looks so active and you see such careful composition of, of frame after frame that nothing looks put together. It all looks natural yep. and alive. Um, and that that I think he even, he even improved on The Godfather in that sense. Like this movie feels a, a lot more active and vibrant to me than that movie did. It's definitely one of the things I noticed most about part one and part two mm-hmm. is just how full the scenes were. It's very impressive how he managed to do these, like, like you said, very naturalistic scenes full of people, full of actors. Yeah, and, and he had more money this time, and I think yeah. that helps. He had more experience this time, and I think that helps. Um, but he, it, and it's also a bigger movie, right? Like, Godfather 1 takes place in New York and a little bit in Vegas. This one is in Lake Tahoe, it's in Cuba, it's in New York, you know, many years ago, it's in Italy, it's 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 all over the place. Mostly shot on site, too. Yeah, Ellis Island was not, though. Apparently, Ellis Island yeah. was under construction at the time, so ironically, it was shot in Italy. It's <laughs> <'Cause they just, laughs> just, super ironic. It is, because they were actually in Italy for the earlier parts of the film, and they just shot that part there because they, they had a space I mean, for it. All you need is like a warehouse. And yeah. Like a, yeah. Yeah, so they, could, they couldn't do it. Stage. They couldn't do it on Ellis Island, so they, they shot it there. And you, you'd have all these Italian-speaking people available to you to play to, extra. To speak Italian. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It totally worked. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I like that a lot about this viewing. It's just how... It's same thing in Cuba, right? Like, you have these full streets. You have... The huge party. You have, yes, multiple huge parties. Yes, multiple this, huge parties. In this movie. Um, and speaking of which, it is totally ridiculous for anybody to have a first communion party that looks like that, right? Like, that's... like. So silly. Well, he's a rich-ass godfather. He, he, he certainly is. Um, let's talk about Pacino. Um, we, we touched a little bit about uh, his 
his use of anger and explosiveness in, in, in this film, but he, he really carries this movie in a lot of ways, and it's still the role he's most closely associated with 30 years later. Um, Is that Scarface by now? I, I mean, this might just be my personal by speaking but I, I certainly kind of a joke now though that's, like, yeah, he, yeah. He, he's he is a long way from his great roles i don't know if you've seen 88 minutes but it's, no it's Which pretty one is bad that? what is that yeah it's a late career pacino film okay he's a detective and he has he has 88 minutes to do something yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does he have to do uh he's um he's a detective he's also a professor of like you know Whatever, crime like detective okay stuff <laughs> and uh his students are kind of dropping dead and he needs to Wait, like like someone's killing them yeah okay and he's like trying to figure out who it is and it turns out it's like one of the students who's like copycatting uh someone that he had put away previously or something no i don't even know if that's the resolution <laughs> of the film. it's really bad though i, I won't watch it yeah you've, you've talked me out of it um yeah he's he's a bit of a a joke because he doesn't he seems to just like kind of go big now and, yeah. and doesn't know how to like control it anymore and i don't know if he, he seems less interested in it yeah 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 he, he got pigeonholed after movies like this as the gangster yep. guy and yeah he's terrible yeah. <laughs> well and yeah. he had a later i mean heat is still a great movie and he is great in it Heat's awesome right and is that like the end of his his it good probably yeah. certainly feels like it. I can't yeah. think of anything that really stands out since then. Um, he's doing the Paterno movie for HBO. He was Jack and Jill. He was in Jack and Jill. Yeah. Yeah, somehow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't understand his career arc. At least when De Niro does it, I know why he's doing it, right? Like, he's, he's taking all the money from these dumb movies that he does and putting it right back into the Tribeca Film Festival. And yeah. That, I get that, right? Like, I understand why he would do that. Uh, I'm not sure why Pacino is maybe making the choice. he's taking all that money and putting it in his own pocket. That, maybe, but he's not even working that often anymore. So, yeah, Adam, why would you come out of the come out to work for for Jack and Jill and, or 88 Minutes or whatever? I bet Paterno's going to be really bad, but I'll Probably. be interested to see what. There's a lot of wrong ways to do that story. A lot of wrong ways to do that story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm very apprehensive about that one. Um, I don't even know if it needs a film. Either. Probably not. Yeah, like we have enough biopics in the world. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't know if we need one about this guy. Um, <laughs> but he's great here, um, and yeah. I think that is absolutely undeniable. He's almost like unrecognizable in this role. Well, he's a lot younger. He's a lot younger, and he looks yeah. very different now. Yeah. Um, I. It took me like half an hour to remember that this is Pacino. Like I actually didn't recognize. <laughs> really? Him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm used to like sort of the ragged Pacino that we have now. Right, it looks like he's gone through a meat grinder a few times. Yeah. 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 Or like you like actually did all the coke in <laughs> uh, <laughs> Scarface. Scarface. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which but, is believable at the time that they were making that film. Seriously. <laughs> um, in this film. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't recognize him for like half an hour and I was like, oh yeah, this is Pacino. This is I Pacino. forgot from Godfather, like previous video. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah he, I mean, he has, you're talking about his lack of control Later in his career, he has absolute control in this movie. It seems like everything, every move he makes is is thoughtful and calculated, and and considered, but not in a way where I'm seeing the actor do it, where I'm but where I'm seeing the character do it, and I th that that's challenging to do 
I think that he's he communicates so much with very little movement, very few lines, very soft spoken lines. Like it, it's really just an incredibly subtle, masterful performance. Um, I, I I'm stunned by it, and I notice new little things about it mm. every time. Um, like when he finally has his his showdown with Diane Keaton, and she's like has the big reveal where she had an abortion because she wants to end his family, which is the most important thing to him. His reaction, his his expression changing throughout her speech there is incredible acting, right? And and Coppola wisely gives us a good amount of time of his face while while Diane Keaton is speaking, and it you you see him go from from some from shock to sadness to anger to just outright rage and it just you you can pick out each moment of it and like where he's choosing or not choosing to to let that out uh just uh, i i i can't get over how good he is in this movie he he absolutely kills it i actually liked him the most in the scene where it's very late in the film and the family's sort of gotten together would assume like before the events of even the first movie yes and he sort of reveals that he signed up for the marines mm-hmm. after some discussion after, by oh. i forget who the character is sunny sunny the the, 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 the james con oldest son yeah okay so yeah sunny is you remember the, the famous scene in godfather one where the guy is shot by the phone booth and it's like the toll booth the toll booth and that's sunny that's sunny that's getting killed yeah he's the old he's the eldest son he would be the heir apparent where he not killed gotcha yeah gotcha okay yeah Yeah, i'm I'm glad you're here to know the mythology better (laughs) i've seen both of these movies many times (laughs) um sunny kind of comes in and is like you know screw screw all this yeah why why are we involved in the war you know where they sort of identifies more of the Italian side than their like Americanness, mm-hmm. and uh, Michael reveals that he's he signed up for the military. I thought that moment was actually like I agree, yeah. Uh, I think had a larger impact on me than the scene with Ian Keaton. Yeah, uh, I think it's I think it's a more important scene to understanding really what this movie is about. Like it might be the most important scene in terms of understanding what this movie is about. Yeah, I think I mean my read which might be obvious is just that michael michael just like values duty more mm-hmm. than the other people in his family yeah and that like and you, more than family too because he, he has yes. a line about yeah. like serving your nation over your family or something yeah. like that or something over blood mm-hmm. yeah something about patriotism yeah. and yes and sonny just tells him he's flat wrong and that he shouldn't be doing this um but yeah what i, I think that is a correct read and definitely uh, in the text. There's also a small moment with Fredo, which I think is also revealing, where Fredo kind of reaches across the table and he's like, good that's, for that's you. That's what really yeah. affected me about that scene. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, and this Fredo's is right, the only one who supports him in this decision. Yeah, and this then is it, right after Fredo's been killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was just yeah. this, really a heartbreaking moment. Yeah. Um, I think what that scene really seals for this movie and and really brings together, because it, it, like such an important part of the editing of this film is the juxtaposition between when we're watching the Vito story and what we come back to in the in the Michael storyline, right? Like, there's a lot of important cuts there where, like, there, there's one where Vito is literally holding Michael as a child in his arms on the stoop with his family around him as, like, the whole neighborhood is celebrating some Italian celebration thing, and you cut back to, like, Michael being cold and alone, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's a very clear juxtaposition between the two of them. And I think that the reason that dinner flashback scene is so important, or one of the many reasons that it's so important, 
is I think what we see in Michael is a man who is trying over and over again to live up to the example set by his father, mimicking the example set by his father and misunderstanding it over and over and over again. I think, I think you, see, uh, you see a guy who, who's mm-hmm. be, been compared to his father favorably over and over throughout his life, but not seeing that what made his father a strong man and a respected man was his warmth and his kindness and his forgiveness. And Michael understanding strength to be coldness, unforgiveness, vengeance. And him misunderstanding what masculinity is and what strength is, is the downfall of this character, mm-hmm. right? And you, you see how he's learning the lo- wrong lesson from Vito over and over and over again in this movie. Um, and it's, it's tragic. It's, it's really a, a tragic story in that sense. Um, and that last scene is, is where you see it because he, he, Vito shows up, right? You see him, he never shows up on screen because of contract disputes with Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it actually works in the movie's favor that Vito shows up off screen during that flashback. Everybody else at the table leaves to go and greet him and Michael stays there alone, right? Because he thought he was doing something to honor what was valuable to him, but what he really should have been honoring and valuing is what brought Vito to where he is now, which is warmth, kindness, mercy. And that, that's a tragic title. has a strict sense of morality that Michael doesn't seem to have. Right. Like, the things that Vito does actually seem reasonable and okay in yeah. the film. Like, Even when he, like, kills a guy... The guy deserved it. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and like the movie goes on. The two guys that he kills both deserve it. Yeah, one who's sort of like a tyrant uh, within the Italian community in the general immigrant community in in New York, and the other one is the man that killed his family. So both seem deserved. Right, and and you look at like Michael's goal throughout his entire arc in this movie Mm -hmm. is it's not to it's not some on some moral quest. He wants to acquire more stuff. That's all it's about. He, he, they already talk about how he has control of like two or three hotels and casinos. And the whole goal with Hyman Roth is to get another one. And it's like, who gives a shit, man? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. why is that so important? You can already throw this giant party. Right, right. You need who, a bigger party? Who cares? Right. In- Whereas Vito's goal when he is killing the, the black hand guy in, in old New York is really to, to, to save his neighborhood from his tyranny. Right, that's a noble goal, right? And he's putting himself at personal risk by pursuing it. And the the juxtaposition between their objectives is so critical here, whereas all Michael sees when he looks at Vito is him enacting violence to get what he wants. He's not at all understanding any of the context of it or why he's doing it or why the violence was necessary in that situation. Yeah, Vito also, you know, swings the executioner sword. Yes. Whereas Michael, everything is from a distance. And yeah, they talk about that yeah. during the, the Senate hearing scenes, right? Where there's always a buffer, right? Yeah. Like they, they have like the one tough guy who's giving everything away, but no, he never actually talked to Michael because there's always a buffer. And yeah, you're exactly right. He never never swings the sword. Yeah. They also have very different reasons for getting revenge. Mm-hmm. So like for Vito's second killing, right? It's for his family because the guy had killed his father and his brothers and his mother. He's getting revenge for that, uh, whereas Michael was just getting revenge on people who threatened his business, including his to, own family. Yeah, used to threaten his business. That's right. the thing. You look at the, the three people that he killed at the end of the movie, and you have Fredo, who apparently all he wants to do is go fishing, right? <laughs> you have, poor guy. You have Frank, who is literally in prison, 
for life. Like, he's going to die there. And you have Hyman Roth, who is on the run from the law, seeking refuge somewhere. And, and on the verge of dying of cancer. Yeah, dying of cancer and on the verge of being arrested anyway. None of these men are a threat. Whereas mm-hmm. the, the character that's, that Vito kills in New York is an active threat to his community. What a great money character. Yeah. Too. The, 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 yeah, which one? The clownish guy yeah. in New York. Yeah. He's so great. I love when he waves to the crowd. He does the, like, <laughs> yeah. the princess wave, the, the backhand to, yes. the, to the crowd. Yeah. And it, 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 he's like, he makes a big show of like giving dollars out. Yeah. yeah. He's like a, a caricature of, of what we imagine a mafia don being yeah. in the yeah. 1900s. Yeah. And that the movie is showing that guy as ridiculous yeah. and as, as, as someone who should be struck down i think is very important because michael just becomes in a sense of a version of that man right just uh, ostentatious shows of wealth all the time like he opens up the movie by giving a huge check to some university or something legitimate yeah exactly and, and it has nothing to do with a with any kind of actual desire to do good yeah we're in and to like further bringing the point like Vito has legitimate aspects to his business like mm-hmm. he is importing goods from oh, Italy wow. yeah it's like it is a cover for other nefarious things but mm-hmm. like there is a want of like being legitimate yeah whereas just being in the casino business is like you're just trying to fleece people and that's yeah. like <laughs> yeah. that is the, business the whole business it. is illegitimate yeah 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 exactly and so, y- y- you see in like in the f- in the first godfather that the Vito, the Marlon Brando character in that one, is talking about how he doesn't want to deal in drugs, right? He doesn't care what anybody else is doing. He's not going to touch it, mm-hmm. right? He's, he, he is the one who stops. Which historically we know is not true. but Right, uh, but for the character it is, and that's... Yeah. <laughs> none of this is historically true, but <laughs> except the Cuban Revolution. It, he's the one that refuses to retaliate when Sonny is killed, right? Mm-hmm. Which is this, this fundamental act of forgiveness and mercy that is, would be totally incoherent and in fact is totally incoherent to Michael and he acts on it as soon as, as Vito dies. And I, I think you, see, you, you again see that over and over again that he, he is not grasping what was actually making Vito a good man and a, a successful aspirational figure. Did, um, did De Niro, did someone voice over for De Niro? No. His voice sounded, I know that he's trying to He did the brand new impression. Brand new, but it seemed at least VO'd no, in no. a few sections. No, he, he, definitely not. He won. He was the first actor to win an Academy Award for a mostly um, non-English speaking role, um, with with a, the only one so far, as far as I can recall. Um, but yeah, he what he would actually did is he because there wasn't any home video at the time. Mm-hmm. He got a screener or a. a screening of the godfather the first one he videotaped by hand all of brando's scenes and just watched him on a loop at home gotcha to like take in his voice and his mannerisms and and learn them and adapt them to to this performance Um, okay so he did i think change his manner of speech and he was speaking italian Mm -hmm. um but yeah that was him that was all him Mm -hmm. they must have done some vo punch-ins then because there were a few scenes where like oh yeah i'm sure that that happened it didn't Look right. I was like, yeah, but that is this actually De Niro. It like maybe question, right? Yeah, that Sorry. was that was more than just De Niro. They did that a few times, and that was that was just they. Didn't I'm catch, sure. I mean, that's very common. In yeah, film. they just didn't catch the sound, but they still yeah. would have him come back and do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Um, it yeah. made me question it though, where I was like, <laughs> "No, no, that was else doing this voice. Yeah. That was him. He didn't uh, speak Italian. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that was it. Actually, 
actually De Niro. Um, and also it was uh, actually Lee Strasberg that was playing Hyman Roth. Um, you, we've mentioned method acting a few times, and like Brando is a famous method actor, Augustin mm -hmm. Hoffman is associated with method acting. Well, the method that's being referred to there is the Lee Strasberg method. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the, the guy that played Hyman Roth actually invented the school and the theory of acting that Brando adopted and really championed um, and made a career around. And here he is in this movie that Brando re refused to appear in because he didn't get enough money. <laughs> um, but I, I thought that I didn't even know that until I, I happened to look it up this time. But yeah, it's the same guy as Lee Strasberg. Brando is so awful. Yeah. He's, he just sounds especially <laughs> odious person. Especially as he got older. He, he, yeah. he got substantially worse as he got How older. How old was he when part two was being made? Would he have been young enough to play the veto roles? No, no. No, no, he, he, he couldn't. He, he refused to appear in that last scene. Just for like 10 a seconds. A, yeah, like James Conn came back um, and agreed to do it because it was a day of shooting, so what the hell. But um, yeah, Brando refused refused to do it, um, which is incredible because The Godfather was a career-saving movie for him. Like <laughs> his, his career was in the toilet. He was boxed up as poison before that movie came out. Coppola had to fight to cast him. Interesting. Like the, the studio didn't want him because he's such a pain in the ass. Why did Coppola want him? Because he was great for the role, he oh, believed yeah. in him. He believed in him as an actor, and Coppola had to fight for him and puts had to put some money up in order to get him, and it saved his career, or it would have if he hadn't continued to be a raging <laughs> asshole afterwards. Um, but yeah, so that he wouldn't come back for a day of work for this this director that like salvaged him and believed in him and fought for him speaks in yeah. a, a very negative way to yeah. He did appear in another De Niro film. He was in Heist with Ed, Ed Norton. Yeah, I saw that movie. Um, wasn't it called The Score? Score. Yeah, some sort of high film. Yeah, yeah you're, right, you're right. You're right. It was it's his like last score. Yeah, it was his last movie. Yeah, and he was actually good in like the handful of scenes that he's He's a in. good actor. Yeah. So long he, ago was this? The Score was maybe. late 90s, yeah. early 2000s. Was, I want to say like 98, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good, it's a decent film. Yeah, it's a, it's a solid heist movie. Um, he appeared in another Coppola movie, uh, Apocalypse Now, obviously. Oh, yeah. It was um, also impossible to work with. Yeah, uh, even more so there, because he had a more important role. Um, but yeah, he he was a big reason that, that that movie had such a tortured production schedule. Yeah, um, what's the film? There's a documentary on... The Island, Darkness? On The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, that's something else. Um, we've it was called like of... Force of Nature or something. I yeah. Think, something like that. And it's lar a large sex in the film is about how awful Brando was. And it nice. like it's two comedic lengths. Like, <laughs> like it is actually like hysterical how horrible he was. Yeah. I mean, same thing in Apocalypse now because like Coppola had to read the Heart of Darkness book, which is like 150 pages. It's not much for Brando to just sit on to himself. He had to read it out loud to him because Brando refused to do it. Stuff like that, right? Um, so I think, I mean, that said, I'm not sure if this movie is improved if, if Brando appears in it. So the, right. the documentary is a long title. It's called Lost Soul, The Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, and if you really want to know about like like imagine a film that just like everything went wrong on <laughs> the, this is that film <laughs> and a good portion of why things went poorly was uh brando yeah and it's it's two levels of absurdity that are unexpected yeah i uh, mean he he was he's a very interesting character um 
Yeah. For one thing, he, I think he has a very strong claim to the best actor ever to live. Like, I think he's just that good. Um, his, his early work with On the Waterfront and Streetcar Named Desire, and even later on with uh, Last Tango in Paris, I think is uh, almost incomparable. Like, mm -hmm. the, but he had some strange ideas about how life ought to operate, and it impacted everything about him, and probably led to him dying earlier and having a more abbreviated career than he would have otherwise. Um, really a fascinating guy, uh, Marlon Brando was. Yeah, uh, I highly recommend the documentary. It's only about an hour. I think it's on Netflix. Okay. And Richard, Richard Stanley films are worth watching, too. They're a good example of, like, 90s Australian filmmaking. Okay. Um, he, he made, like, two very impactful films and then tried to make out of Dr. Moreau, and then his career was just gone after that. Because in the 90s, as soon as you did something wrong, you were just you were excommunicated yeah. from Hollywood. <laughs> And uh, it's a fascinating study of how wrong things can go. Yeah. Yeah. I am wondering yeah. if it would have been better to have Brando in this movie, and I don't think it would be. I don't think it would uh, be. I'm a little torn, but like, yeah. you know, when I saw the scene, it seemed obvious that they were skirting around the fact that they couldn't show him again mm -hmm. because they avoided showing him. Um, but at, on the other hand, I guess we mentioned it before, it's just so effective to have Michael sitting there at the yes. table completely alone. Um, and it really was effective in that way. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think that, that that matters a lot. Um, it's like, how would you show him on the screen? You like cut from Michael sitting alone at the table to like the family around Brando? And yeah, I mean, or you just have him enter the dining room or something. I, I, I mean, yeah, that seems like it'd be would, really cheesy. They'd find a way, but yeah, what they actually did was, was so much more uh, like subtle and poignant um, yeah. than I think having Brando show up. And Brando is such a presence. Right, that he's going to dominate any any shot that he's in. Uh, so yeah, I think it worked out to the film's favor. Um, there are several interesting actors in this movie, though. The other one that you had mentioned earlier is uh, John Cazale, who played Fredo. Um, he appeared in he he got his acting career started pretty late in his life. He was in his thirties. He appeared in four movies. Um, he was in Godfather One and Two, uh, The Conversation, and The Deer Hunter. All of them were nominated for Best Picture. After The Deer Hunter, he died. So he was—he's literally batting a thousand in well, terms then. of, <laughs> in, yeah. In terms of, uh, it's too bad because he's really great in this film. The in all of those, this scene where he, he's apologizing to Michael and yeah. just calling himself dumb. Yeah, and, I'm not dumb. I'm smart. Yeah, I'm yeah, smart. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it's so like harrowing and heartbreaking. Yeah, well, like, it's, it, yeah, it's so pathetic. Yeah, and and so pitiful. But also just so empathetic, right? Like you totally get his frustration in that moment, right? That he is—he has been usurped by his younger brother. That he thought he was doing something right, and he actually wasn't. That he thought he could contribute, and he's not being given the opportunity. Like you see this this frustration in him building up, and it's also this sorrow that he accidentally kind of betrayed his brother, and that he's sorry for it, and it's it's just yeah. all right there in that moment, and. Yeah, just a, a wonderful performance from him. Right. Yeah. And then and then he gets these opportunities afterwards to show what he's good at when he's interacting with Anthony, with the young with, with Michael's son, and you see him as like this this caring figure, this kind figure who's who's really very he's such a better father than right. he kind of represents Michael. all the, yeah. the good aspects of Vita. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's what Michael kills. 
right? Like that's what is that's what Michael's murdering is that everything that he should have been learning from his father that Fredo actually learned um, is what he eliminates for no reason, yeah. right? When he has absolute control over Fredo and everything that he does and knows where he is at every single moment, he decides to snuff that out. out yeah, he's also like vengeance. much more pious than Michael. And, yes, yeah. It brought in the sort of arbitrariness of his uh, of Michael's familial bonds because mm-hmm. he like refuses to to kill Fredo until his mother dies. Yeah, because he doesn't want his mother to feel bad or something like that, right? But like, why doesn't he have the same bond with his brother? Right, right, and because his brother betrayed him, because he the the yeah. man of the house owes more to the family. I mean. It, who yeah, knows? They, they always have the stuff about their mother or their wife, yeah. right? Like yep. that, that seems like a common like Italian gangster theme. Yeah, I mean that's the play the that Vito yeah. Vito and Clemenza go to. Like that's what the play is about, where he finds the beautiful girl, right? Um, yeah, very very central uh, to the. Yeah, but it always just feels so arbitrary and so insincere. Yes, I agree. It, it, it's very performative, I think, and that, and that's what this was because he doesn't actually care about his brother. Right, and he, he, so he doesn't even actually care about what his mom thinks or wants. He just wants to avoid her knowing. He doesn't yeah. want to actually be the good thing that she yeah. wants in the world. Or, or like, there's his interactions with his sister. Yep. Um, and he's basically like he he pretends to want the best for her and for her to be safe and all that, but really he just wants to control her every move. Mm-hmm. And you see that in the first one um, where her. Husband is abusing her. The car, the Carl guy that's introduced in the flashback, that's the husband in Godfather 1, who is abusing her. And Michael tells her that she pleads with Michael to, to not kill him, right? To just let him go, cut him out of the family business, whatever, don't kill him. And Michael promises her, no, I'm going to leave him alone. He won't, he, he, he's not going to be around here anymore, but he's going to be safe. The next thing he does is order his murder. And the guy's killed, of course. And that's that, right? And it's like one of the moments, his, his turn. Yeah. Um, so you, yeah, I mean, obviously you had seen Godfather 1. When yeah. did you see it? It's been probably like four or five years. I didn't remember that clearly. Okay. Did it impact this viewing? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> like, was there, did you feel like you were missing something because you didn't recall Godfather 1 that well? I think I recalled enough to get an idea. Like, I remembered that it was about, like, Vito running um, his family in the organized crime business and Michael taking over. Okay. Uh, and I remember... Fredo like fucks some stuff up and he'll got Vito that. killed. Yep, he'll, he'll do that. Well, no, Vito was yeah, not he killed. He dies of a heart attack. He yeah, he dies of old age or, essentially. Yeah, or stroke or something. Okay, he I just forgot passed, that. He, like, well, he he there was an attempt on his life or something yes, like that. Yes, um, and that yeah, Fredo was supposed to be watching him and really wasn't. Um, so yeah, that happened. Uh, one thing I'm, I'm reminded of now that you, now that we bring it up is the use of oranges, right? The, the I've use, heard about that. Right. So I, I think that. In the in the first one, there's the oranges show up twice at significant moments, at least twice at significant moments. One when Vito is shot the first time, he's buying oranges in yeah. the marketplace, and you see the, these oranges roll out of the bag when he falls to the ground. Uh, the second significant time is that he has an orange rind in his mouth, and he's like playing with his his god his grandson when oh, he, he when he dies yeah. when he actually dies. This movie we see oranges at several places. Um, we see the Mafia Don character that Vito kills purchasing an orange. We see that Vito is gifted an orange by a vendor of some sort in the street. And we see Michael eating an orange towards the end of the movie when he's ordering the last hits on Roth and, and Fredo and, and Frank. Um, was he the one who was like biting directly into it? Yes. And I think that that's important. 
right? Yeah. Is that he's eating the orange wrong, <laughs> right? Like he's he's eating the orange in a way you're not supposed to eat an orange. I saw that. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? Did he bite through the rind? Like, it looks like he tore off part of it and then started eating it yeah. like an apple, which is fucking weird. Nobody eats an orange <laughs> that way. And I think it's important insofar as the orange stands for fruitfulness and for fertility and family, right? And I think that is what it stands in for. I, I think it's important that. When, when Vito dies, he has an orange in his mouth and he's playing with his son, that young Vito is gifted an orange. He doesn't have to take one, right? The one is given to him. And that Michael is just savaging this orange and tearing it apart and, and eating it incorrectly. I, I think that's intended. And I, I, I think that it's an important read um, on this movie, the role of fruit and food, specifically oranges. Um, he's even given one um, by, I think it's Johnny Ola, that comes from Florida, right? He says, here's oh, an yeah, orange. Yeah an orange from Florida. So it's not an orange from his family. It's not an orange that he grew. It's not an orange that he got from someone close to him. It's one from a guy on the other side of the country that is actually betraying him. This is this is his family now. It's these people from outside of him, not the ones closest to him, not the ones from his his country and his neighborhood. Right. And I think that that's critical. Any any other closing thoughts, Charles? Um I mean I still appreciate the movie despite not immediately finding it to be the best movie of all time um and i do like it more like the more we've talked about it and the more i've thought about it um i just think i could use some more viewings of part one and two in the future that's always a good idea to solidify it yeah yeah uh, I, I love this movie like this is this is an all-time great movie for me i think it's better than the first one like that yeah. i think that this is a, a sequel that is superior um, and we haven't talked about that. This is the first sequel to win the Best Picture Academy Award. It's probably the best sequel of all time. Um, I think Aliens it, is better. But really? Yeah. I think the contender might be Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um, Improvement from one to two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I cannot. And no criticisms of this movie really make sense to me. Like yeah. I, <laughs> I love this movie. It is very dear to me. It Not always even, will it's be. It's too long. I sat down because I, I sat down to watch this movie. I saw it was three twenty. I'm like, all right, I'm going to break this up into two or three parts. I sat down and started watching it and just didn't pause it at all. Just watched it all the way through. Like even I was big just, intermission didn't give you any pause. Well, I fast forwarded through that. <laughs> but, uh, like I was, it. I was just immediately in it, and I, I barely noticed that it was three hours. I yeah. edited in three settings yeah. yeah each about an hour that sounds about right yeah yeah and the, the movie Charles, did you do it straight through i had to break it up into two uh just yeah. the schedule of my weekend panned out that yeah, way yeah it's tough to set aside three and three twenty but in mean, the first I hour did. 20 is like would have been a fine movie on its own there's yeah. at least two like you could take the veto part and the michael part and make Separate. coherent movies out of each of them yeah for the most part with adding very little to the veto section yeah um but the editing is very important here uh to, of course to really say what you want to say about this film and yeah. these characters. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to be back in a moment for things we've seen this week and next week's movie, so stay tuned. All right, and we're back with things we've seen. And I'm going to go first. So I, I mentioned last week that I'd seen Black Panther. So I would like to talk about it this week. Because yes. you guys spoke about it three weeks ago, I think. Something like three that. Ago. And by this point, everybody that's going to see it has seen it. It's yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I, I like this film. I think similar to what Charles said about The Godfather Part 2, I think it was hyped up a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I went in expecting <laughs> like top three Marvel movies. It's not seen. top three for you? I'm not sure that it is. Really? On the scale of Marvel, it's yeah. not hard to get up there for a movie like this. But yeah. I don't know. What's your top three then? Yeah. Uh, I would say Iron Man. I think Thor. Ragnarok. Ragnarok is 
excellent. And then Winter Soldier, maybe Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier is yeah. great. There are aspects of Winter Soldier I don't like, but yeah, uh, yeah, I re- actually rewatched Winter Soldier. This it's week a blast. <laughs> yeah. Does it hold up still? Because I haven't rewatched it since it was in theaters. I'm oh, worried I, that all I have. I think it's fine. I, I have a similar issue with that movie as I do with the Avengers, where they're just like, and here's every character in the universe, and they in like, in Winter Soldier they got. They got Cap. They have Black Widow. Oh no, Civil War. I watched. I rewatched Civil War. Civil War. Yeah. 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 Uh, no. So I actually didn't like Winter Soldier. Uh, really? Civil War. I think is a good. I like Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. I rewatched it again recently too, in anticipation of Black Panther. The moment of when everybody's fighting in Civil War just didn't ring. <laughs> true. Seems, it doesn't seem like, like they care. Or they're not like trying to kill like each other, right? So the, the stakes That's don't the... seem high. Okay. Yeah. But you like know they that. kill somebody like but, accidentally, or like, kind of kill Don Cheadle accidentally. Yeah, like you know they're not. They should have died. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, I think this movie is good for a Disney film. I think it's quite revolutionary that it's there's only like two two white people in the film. There's Claw and there's the Martin Freeman character. There's Ross. Yeah, uh, I I think that's that's amazing. That's a, a huge change for Disney, yeah. which is well mm-hmm. known for a l- very long and litigious history of racism. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think it's quite the turn, and I think that that alone is revolutionary. I think there are elements of the plotting that I had issues with, and I, I think it's been well discussed. There's a million thought pieces written on this of like Indeed. whether or not you're on T'Challa's side, who's who's more of a you know liberal reformer or. Uh, Killmonger, who's more revolutionary, but is also an imperialist. I'm not sure where I fall. I'm not sure they like either of those characters. Um, I found yeah, I think I used I, to find something in the middle, right? Yeah, I, I said this in our discussion online that I actually found myself thinking that Black Panther was actually the bad guy in this film. Well, yeah. Boseman said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess it's been written about. I haven't written. I had avoided reading all the things because I don't okay. want to like. Spoil so many things. Things. He's sort of the yeah. conservative. He's the force against change in Wakanda. It, well, yeah, he needs to be persuaded. Right? Yeah. He represents a patriarchy that's like bad. Like yeah. it's a very like their government is shitty. They <laughs> it's a monarchy. <laughs> it's it's a monarchy. It's a it's a patriarchal monarchy. And when he fake died in the film, I was hoping he just was actually dead, and one of his sisters like took over. Which is him. what happens on the comics. Sure, he becomes Black Panther. That would nice. be a great turn for this film. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I the thought f- they were going there. Honestly, I, unfortunately, the <laughs> film did he not saw go the that direction. Infinity War trailer. Yeah, I, know he's I knew it wasn't going to be dead, but I thought that they were going to have sure. What a hell of a movie it would have been though <laughs> if they just kill off the Black Panther and one of the sisters takes over. That yeah. would be incredible. Yeah. Not what they did, unfortunately. So I. I, I like this film. I think I think people's memories are short. I think that they are saying that this is like the you know the first film with like a you know sort of like a revolutionary black you know hero in the film. I disagree. I think Blade is that, yeah. and Blade people bring them up. I think people forget Blade though because it, it's more of a it's like a weird like horror action movie. It's before I it was just kind of like a B movie. It's yeah, and it kind of is, but Blade is. Very much more of a revolutionary character, where he, he, you know, he's fighting against a what is like a cabal of it's vampires in the film, but they they there's like a metaphor for like how government works and how police reinforce the government, and in that film he kills police officers and he kills the you know the people who are like running this vampire cabal, and I think that I 
my, I think my own politic like aligns with that much more so that mm -hmm. if if you're going to do something revolutionary, it, it may mean like a violent revolution, but yeah. it, it is to overthrow, the, you know, the forces of oppression. Killmonger is interesting because he wants to do that, but then he just wants to become his own oppressive force. Which and that's seen, my issue. In, we've seen in a world like that. Yeah. That has well, happened. A real thing that happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then my issue to uh, T'Challa is he's just like a he doesn't want he doesn't seem to want things to actually be better and he's sort of well, yeah that's the arc of the character he's a reformer right the, yeah. that's the arc of the character right is that yeah. he is deciding the, the kind of leader that he wants to be and yeah. he's deciding that he doesn't want to be the kind of leader that his father was and I, th I think that that's really important. That's another like metaphor yeah. for real life, because a lot of people learn their beliefs through their parents, right? Right. But a lot of people don't question what their parents believed, and they don't realize that their parents were fallible, right? And he does have this realization in this movie, and that leads to him changing his beliefs in the end. Right. That, that already happened in Civil War, though, where it, like in Civil War, he was going to kill the man who killed his father, and then he stops and says, no, I'm I'm like ending this cycle of violence. And right, but that, he, learns that seemed... he learns a different lesson there. Yeah. Right? But it, it, it's, it is similar. Yeah. I, I think this is a, a track. I, I don't think they're, they're going to end up in the end of Black Panther 2 with him being a, a, a violent revolutionary. Like I, I don't think no. that's where this is going. Well, I mean, the end of the film doesn't uh, like point you in that direction. No, but my, my point is that it, yeah. it, they could if they wanted to. Because yeah. I think the path for many people that end up with radical politics is to start as a, reforming, a reformist liberal and yeah. see that not work. Right? Like, they, they need that experience of it. Yeah. And... So, it, maybe they start with I conservative think, parents, maybe not. As an individual document, though, like, the, I think what troubled me about T'Challa was at the end of the film, he, like, essentially just opens, like, a charter school, and like, a community <laughs> center was like, what? what? This is your answer to, like, the reform? Like, this is what people are already doing, and it obviously doesn't work. And then he adds, he has Wakanda kind of, like, join the UN in, like, the right. post-credit scene, and that was, like, even more troubling, because it was, like, the, if, if your issue with Killmonger is like you don't want to join up with like a violent rep, uh, imperial force, that's exactly what the UN is. So why would you have Wakanda join it? But, but the, yeah. the the point that he agrees with Killmonger on yeah. eventually, the, the point that he's persuaded yeah. on is that he, he needs to not be in isolation as country. Yeah, right? that that is true. And that's I think what they're, they're which getting is very morally troubling about Wakanda. Yes, it yeah. is, and I think that's yeah. what he learns is his yeah. father was wrong. Yeah. And what led to and, Killmonger... And his lineage is wrong. What led yeah. to Killmonger in the first place was that isolationist politic. Yeah. Right? Like, he, Killmonger would never have existed if he, they didn't need to conceal the existence of Wakanda. Yeah. Right? They never, and I think that that is, is critical yeah. to understanding the film. So, yeah. So, I, I think that aspect <clears throat> of the film is is troubling to me. <laughs> and I, I hope it, it takes a, a better turn later. Um, but I thought it was a fun film to watch. It felt like they kind of got like the B budget for like a Marvel film. A lot of the effects like did not. CG stood out a little weird. Yeah, it stood out a, a little odd. Um, they put a lot of money in Infinity War. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think that I could kind of see Disney kind of like hedging their bets on this film, and the CG doesn't hold up as well. Yeah. I think they did announce a sequel, though, and I guess the CG will be better than that one. Of course there's going to be a they, sequel. Or they, they just announced they, they hit a billion dollars yes. uh, after three weeks, which is very impressive for then they're a, still, they're still a showing little out, Marvel film. Yeah, they're still yeah. showing out, or selling out screenings. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's killing it. Um, great cast, too. Uh, Kaluuya, once again, shows what a great actor yes. he is, even in such a small role that he has in Black Panther. The arc of that character is great. Yes. And, 
Yeah, we we discussed them briefly last week, but um, yeah, it's, it seemed like everybody around T'Challa was way more interesting. Yeah, <laughs> even though like the elder council, I was like, I want to know who these people are because they're like they got a lot going on. Yeah, and T'Challa is just like the really boring kind of respectable guy. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I, yeah. I I found him compelling as a dynamic hero, right? Like in insofar as he's a hero that changes, and we, I don't think we see that in. Marvel yeah, or fair. superhero movies that often. Um, that's what I like about Iron Man three. Um, mm-hmm. That everyone else doesn't like that movie, but oh, that movie's garbage. That movie's great. <laughs> it was great for me. That's bottom no, that's, Marvel movie. That's like top five. I'm, I would <laughs> Thor Dark Planet might actually be higher in my list. Though. No, oh, that, yeah, that's the that's oh, the worst man. Marvel movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Thor two. Um, as long as we don't count a uh, Fantastic Four, we don't. It's yeah. not no. in the same universe. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, enough so, about. Oh, I'm sorry. Jeff, That's my point. take on Black Panther. I, I think it's a great film. I find some of the politics, politics troubling. I think they, they don't go far enough. Um, but it's I mean, a step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as, as as cinema, I think that it is very functional. Uh, yeah. Also, and I can kind of end it on this, but like, I, I don't I don't know the comics that well, but from what I understand of the comics, what's interesting about Black Panther is he doesn't trust the rest of the Avengers because he sees them as an imperial force, and that is not... And, I don't think that's clear in this film. Well, because yeah. what what happens in the comics is he he's introduced in a Fantastic Four comic, but then later on down the line he ends up joining the Avengers because every hero in the Marvel universe joins the Avengers at some point. And you learn later on this would be the late '90s that he never was sincerely an adventure and he was just there to spy on them essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, that obviously was not the point from the get-go, but that's what is written into the character. Uh, so yes, that is correct. That that does happen. Um, and yeah. he ends up leaving the Avengers because of when they find that out. <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to have seen that in this film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they could st- again, they could still get there, right? Like he is not hooked up with the Avengers yet. We'll see. We will see. Maybe he's friends with the CIA officer, <laughs> which is <laughs> the CIA officer is friends with him. Uh, we can go on and on about Everett <laughs> Ross. Um, what did you see this week, Carol? Anything good? Um, so I was kind of on like a little bender of catching up on Best Picture Films. Um, oh. So I'd seen Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. And I know we talked about it a lot already, but uh, it's I think it's the best option because I think Shape of Water has been maybe over-discussed since it won Best Picture. Um, now, I still enjoyed Lady Bird more than I liked Call Me By Your Name. Um, it's just that for the entire body of the movie, I wasn't really... For most of it, I didn't feel that sold on the relationship, I guess, because it seemed it was very hot and cold. Um, like there were portions where they were flirting with each other, but then he would randomly like get mad and like start sleeping with another girl. And I was very confused as to what was going <laughs> on. Um, and so like I wasn't too sold on the body of the film, I guess. And a lot of it was just them kind of hanging out and doing nothing because there's nothing to do in the Italian countryside in the summer, I guess. Um, but study linguistics. Right. But regardless, the ending still destroyed me. Yes. Uh, So it's just like, you know, going into the monologue with the father and then, you know, the very last shot at the end with the music playing. Like I I left the theater just kind of in this weird mood where I was like on the verge of crying and just like just feeling really hollow and walking out because like I still on a mental level understand what the relationship was supposed to be, even if uh, what was on screen didn't completely sell me. Um, so I could still understand what was going on at the end when he feels terrible about it not working out and how it was like, you know, 
inevitable that it was gonna end and like the father telling him all that um, and it was still extremely extremely effective um, and just for that I just really appreciated what the film had for me yeah I mean I, I love this movie it was it was yeah. my favorite one of the year um, it, yeah. it still is uh, the yeah, I, I mean, I've spoken at length when we did our our best of, our best of episode, um, but I, I've seen it again since then, and it's still just every beat works for me. Uh, every moment, I mean, it just feels so well made, but still so casual. Um, and uh, Timothy Chalamet is going to be a star. That guy has got the chops, I think. Yeah, I I, I love this movie, and they're making a sequel, maybe. Really? Yes, which I was surprised by as well. But like, they're talking to Army Hammer. He says that he's into it. Were there like more books or something? I have no idea. I don't think so. But I've, I'm fascinated by what that will look like. <laughs> they they kind of they kind of closed the book. Yes, on that. that's it's it, kind of the point of the movie. There's a right? conclusion. Isn't, yeah. there a dis, isn't it a disservice to the movie if they keep it up? Well, no, they, this movie still exists if there's a bad sequel. But um, yeah, that's true. I've I have no idea what that could possibly look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that may happen. I, I, I didn't know. see it, so... You should okay. see it. It's super good. <laughs> no comment. Okay. Um, well, I, I saw a new movie. Uh, I went to see Thoroughbreds this weekend, which I thought was great. Um, it okay. is... A, oh, this is the Mean Girls e, it's movie. E, e, yeah. Kind of, yeah. It's um, Annie Taylor-Joy, who loyal listeners will remember from The Witch. I guess it's closer to Heather's, right? It is closer to Heather's, kind of. Okay. Um, I think the... Com- Comparisons to Heather's are superficial. Like it, it's it's like Heather's in the sense that it's about teenage girls that that want to kill a guy, um, yeah. but like that's kind of it. Um, so the the premise is that Olivia Cook plays Amanda, um, who is like the weird girl at this rich county in uh, in Connecticut. There everybody's really wealthy. Um, she is being tutored by Lily, played by Anya Taylor Joy. Uh, Olivia. Or Amanda comes out early and it says that she she doesn't have any feelings, right? She can't feel anything. She doesn't have guilt. She doesn't have joy. She doesn't have uh, shame. None of that. Um, and the trailer pitched it as Lily is somebody that then feels everything. The movie pitched it as Lily is just a person that feels normally as people normally do. The line that Amanda has is that because she doesn't feel anything, she has to work a little harder to be a good person. And that's really what the film's about, is about the choices, whether or not what makes someone a good person is the, the choices that you make, even if you're not feeling it on the inside, what you do externally, or if there's something internal to you that is required to make you good. And if mimicry of good is as good as goodness itself. And in that sense, it becomes a very morally complex film. Um, it is also a critique of consumption it is a critique of this ridiculous class structure that exists in the wealthy parts of connecticut and westchester and places like that um it's funny and it is um, also anton yelkin's uh last performance i'm pretty sure uh before he before he passed away um it it's a great movie it's really complicated i hesitate to say more because i know that it just came out and hasn't been released everywhere yet um but it, it's a, a strong recommend i think that that thoroughbreds should should uh, do well Cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen much marketing for it outside of just Alamo Drafthouse trailers. I've only seen it advertised there. Yeah, and it ha- it hasn't been pa- it, it 
was making this this festival circuit last year, basically the entire year. Yeah. Um, so it might be technically a 2017 movie, but it's getting a wide release now. Um, it got good reviews there. It is the first movie from a playwright, hmm. um, and it's his first directorial effort. And uh, it's chatty, and I think that you can you can see in that sense where this comes from a, a theater background. Um, but it, it still plays well. You can see the Heather's influence. You can see the American Cycle influence. Um, it's really a, a, a much more thought-provoking movie than I expected, and in a lot of ways a more subtle movie than, than Heather's was. Um, so I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Cool. What, um, are you, what are you watching next week? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay within the, the Coppola family. Uh, we're going to do Lost in Translation and move over okay. to Sophia. Uh, her, I don't think it was her directorial, di- directorial debut, but it was the one where she broke big. Um, I like this movie a lot, um, and I haven't seen it in a little while, so I'm looking forward to returning to it. Uh, so join us next week for uh, Lost in Translation. Thanks for listening. <laughs>